Hello, and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Jordan Granger. And I'm Autumn Webb, and we are so happy you're here. Hello. Hi there. I am so excited to kick off Mental Health Awareness Month with a little solo episode, our first solo episode. And yeah, I feel like it'd just be really informational and helpful if we both talk through our mental health journeys, give some context and kind of like our best coping strategies and where we're at now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's been really fun and we if we didn't want to kick off like the whole podcast with solo episodes because we were like, nobody cares. But now hopefully people kind of know us a little bit and have heard us uh, talking to people that are way smarter than us um, and have interest in what we're saying. So now I think it'll be great. And this is just a topic that's near and dear to both of us. We've done a lot of like personal work on, so I feel qualified to speak in this space. And yeah, happy May. Happy Mental Health Awareness Month. Very important. And I'm just excited to get in this convo. I know Andrew Huberman talks about a lot of um, anic data, which is like anecdotal data. Mm. I'm like, we don't have a lot of data, but we have a lot of anic data for you today. <laughs> yeah, like a lot. And I feel like we both read a lot so we can share like our... Um, recaps of other people's collection of data mm -hmm. <laughs> are like poorly worded like slightly off <laughs> our really shitty paraphrasing <laughs> exactly um but yeah so this one will be all about our mental health so i guess we can start with um do you want to talk like about your mental health journey and what yeah, how sure. it started and yeah I feel like I struggle with mental health since I was 10 years old but I was not conscious of it I didn't think it was like a mental health problem I didn't realize that I had anxiety probably until my sophomore year of college when I started having like uh, anxiety attacks like fully or just like generalized anxiety about nothing but I think I've kind of always been a very anxious person um, starting from when I was like 10, I would cry myself to sleep thinking that I had cancer and I would just envision my family crying at my funeral. And I just literally was convinced I was going to die and like die really young and not make it past a certain age. And I still have that fear, but it was pretty all consuming back then. And I think my anxiety was what drove me to be such a high achiever in school I was convinced that colleges were looking at your grades in middle school, so I never got a B ever, <laughs> and I didn't miss class. I was like perfect straight A, high achiever all throughout high school. I, all the clubs I joined was because of getting into college, and um, everything that I did what had like getting into college be the four like was like my core motivating factor. And I think a lot of that was anxiety-driven, and my anxiety got so bad that I gave myself an ulcer <laughs> my senior year. And I think it kind of – I think I had a little baby depression in college, like freshman year, without realizing it. Like, I don't remember this, but my parents told me that I was, which, like, I had – I don't remember. But honestly, I feel like that's just a really hard, challenging transition. And then my anxiety kind of started to – 
be less just like anxious thoughts and more like bodily symptoms. I think my whole life before it wasn't like powerful, like visual symptoms or sensations like heart palpitations. It was more just thoughts, rapid thoughts, but then it kind of progressed into also being overwhelming physical sensations, which is really challenging for someone with health anxiety, having physical anxiety symptoms really Mm -hmm. is like this whole crazy self-perpetuating cycle because I just convinced myself that I'm going to have a brain aneurysm or a heart attack or like something bad is happening. So that is a really challenging thing to work through. And then when I studied abroad, I didn't really have any friends studying abroad. I was in a different country. So that was my first experience with like depression and that was awful. And then graduating college, um, COVID was very anxiety inducing for me, especially being someone with health anxiety. So that I got pushed to a point where I was like very, very close to feeling like I needed medication. Like I was very overly anxious all the time, could barely function. And um, then I had a hint of depression kind of kick in for my first year of like corporate life and moving to a new city and like not really having any friends in the city and my boyfriend still living in a different state too. So, and so I guess like this last year of my life has been like probably the happiest and least anxious and least depressed I've ever been. Like I still have anxiety for sure. It's not perfect, but um, I feel like I'm in a place where I manage it the best now. Mm -hmm. When I think there's something you touched on about like the physical slash mental space and like how they blur and like a lot of your symptoms show up physically Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's like your physical health also is going to impact your brain health. And I think I I just like, don't understand, I guess it's like so complicated that there just hasn't been good research on this, but I don't understand why people kind of consider mental health as like an afterthought of your physical health because they are so intertwined Mm -hmm. and you right now you're probably in good physical health and some of the best physical health you've been in, in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like talking about freshman year of college, you were probably in the worst physical health you've been in in a while. Like, <laughs> me too. I yeah. also think that's part of the reason you and I became such good friends so fast because we were both kind of like lost and lonely. Like we had a group of friends, but we didn't really have like a person until we found each other. Mm-hmm. And I think like that helped a lot and also is like why we found each other and we're so clingy immediately because we like needed each other to get through this time. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think like the, the theme of like your physical health impacting your mental health is huge. And it really is like, like your brain and body will not be able to regulate itself better mm-hmm. if you don't have good physical health. Yeah. Like, and especially diet, like people don't realize how much diet impacts this because Foods, inflammatory foods can like cause inflammation in the brain. Inflammation in the brain is like directly what like anxiety and depression can be linked to. And so if your brain Mm -hmm. is inflamed and your gut's inflamed and you're not eating properly, then you're going to have more mental health problems. Like I had a bunch of like hormone weirdness that I had to fix. And um, I thought I fully healed myself. So I kind of started sliding back into eating gluten and dairy but now I've been feeling a little more um, depressed and anxious lately. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, I have to cut these foods out. Like 
they actively make my mental health worse. And yeah. um, I don't think enough people realize that those foods can really impact your mental health too. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say that physical health does not mean skinny. And so yeah. it doesn't mean overworking out or under eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I think that's really important. Like you can look a million different ways and be healthy. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times the obsession with skinniness can lead to very terrible mental health and like is often not a sign of mental health. And I think I just saw a TikTok about this that I like loved. And I remember very clearly, like I never had an intentional eating eating disorder, but I went on ADHD meds and reaped at what I thought at the time was a benefit of never being hungry and therefore never eating. So I would say like my eating was disordered, but I didn't have like the, I wasn't intentionally cutting out or calorie counting or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but one of the like worst parts of it in a way is the congratulations that you get for being skinnier. And mm-hmm. I just saw this girl on TikTok who was like, yeah, when you're skinny and you're sick, it's clear because you you are skinny and then now you're even skinnier and people are like, oh, you look sickly. But when you're a bigger person who goes through an eating disorder and you – I'm not saying I was a bigger person, but I, I did, this is what this creator was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a bigger person and you lose weight, people are – you're a success story. And so even if your eating is disordered and your workout systems, which totally can be disordered, are disordered, mm-hmm. you're getting compliments, which is like – fueling the part of your brain that is getting motivated by losing weight. And it's just like mm-hmm. such a cycle and it, it it needs to be talked about so much more. Like healthy does not mean skinny. And especially when it comes to mental health, like that those two things are not the same. I know. And that's why we should just not be commenting on people's weight or their body. Like I feel like I this is like a new thing for me. I used to comment on people like, oh you look so good. But I refrain now and I only bring it up if they lead the conversation. If someone tells me I've been working out and I'm so proud of myself, I feel really strong and healthy, then I'll be like, oh yeah, you do look good. But I think Mm -hmm. that there's no need to talk about it because you don't know how people are losing weight and it can be a really triggering weird thing, especially people do it. Like you don't know someone very well. I'm like, why are you even commenting on that anyway? That is so just like weird to and I don't know, can be really triggering for people. So that's something that I've kind of trained myself to stop doing because you're right. Health can come at a lot of sizes and it doesn't look a certain way. And so just commenting based on someone's looks is, can be really damaging. So damaging. And it's not, I think, especially to young women, it's like, so, and I think, I mean, you said this is a new thing. I think it's a new topic of conversation in the mental health Mm -hmm. space, like entirely is talking about how, health does not equal size. And I think that was a lot of like fat phobic narrative for so much of our life was that it did. Mm -hmm. And it was so damaging to so many people. And there's like such a like 90s culture of super skinny, low rise jeans. Like, look, like I'm rewatching the vampire diaries and this is not the nineties. I think it's like the early two thousands, but how fucking skinny all the main characters are. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no wonder we all had eating disorders. These girls like turn sideways and they like disappear because they're so tiny. And we just were like told that that was healthy and it's not healthy. Like mm-hmm. they're so skinny and like, yeah, well, they're so naturally we- skinny, but they're even more skinny. 
also like women need to have fat to have a period or to mm-hmm. be fertile. And the whole point of women holding on to fat is so that if you were to get pregnant and there was a, a famine, like there was no production in food that year, that you could still keep the baby. Like that is why women have higher fat percentages than men. And so mm-hmm. for women that obsess over like not having – having a really low body fat percentage and I just think it, it's so damaging. Like you need to have fat <laughs> on your body, yeah. especially as a woman. <laughs> like yeah. you have to do it for to recreate life. <laughs> so literally – and like, to, yeah. And to care for your, it's just like, it's how your body is made and like mm-hmm. your body is not the enemy. Like the culture is. Yeah. It's really, that's a big thing. I didn't think we were going to we get into that We could have a whole episode but, on body yeah. image. We might need to do that separately, but I want to know a background of your mental health history. Let's give everyone <laughs> that context and then we can go from there. Yeah. So I also have had mental health struggles from a really long for from a really early age um i again like don't think it was diagnosed when it began but it definitely at least began in 5th grade i had depression and that was linked to moving um and i just didn't feel like i had a good community and i was really lonely and i also have adhd which i later learned can be very directly linked to depression and I just like was, I checked all the boxes, but I didn't really get diagnosed with depression until I was 14. And it was actually, I had just gone on birth control. Um, and I went on birth control at a really young age also because I have hormonal issues. And so it was supposed to help balance out my hormones. Um, and eventually I got diagnosed with depression. I went on like a series of antidepressants. I went to therapy, for years, some of it was when I got in trouble. And so it was kind of like a punishment, which led to me having a weird relationship with therapy and therapists. Um, and then the antidepressant journey is a really hard one for anyone that's going through it. And they know like, it's really hard to pinpoint what type of depression you have, what's the chemical imbalance and like, how are meds going to help support that? And so a lot of times it gets better before it gets worse, or it's just like a really long journey. And each of them, like you have to give them time to really understand how it's going to impact your body. So it just like takes a really long time and it's slow. And so that was like years of trying to figure out the right meds for me. And then I went to college and I was partying a ton and that was not helping my mental health. I think my mental health probably like was at its like lowest freshman year of college, like you were saying. Um, and like I said, very tied to physical health. Um, and then sophomore year, I would say like throughout college, my drinking habits got better each year. And so I felt like, oh, my mental health is going to get better alongside these things. Like sophomore year is still crazy. Junior year, like it just like kind of slowly improved. Like mm-hmm. there was definitely things – we were, I mean, it was a huge party school, so we were partying a lot, but like for the goals I had in my head, I felt like things were getting better. Um, and then I graduated in a pandemic and honestly, I think a lot of my depression was tied to really needing a break. So for a little bit of the pandemic, I actually was really fine. And like, I felt really good because I wasn't burnt out in the way that I think I was for so long. 
it was like a forced stop. And I really think I needed that. And so that actually kind of helped my mental health. Um, but at the same time, I was like grieving the loss of my senior year and like grieving my friends, like not being with me and just like this transition coming earlier than I was wanting and expecting. And so there was this like grief. And then there was like guilt because I felt okay. And the world was like burning in front of me. And so that was like very complicated time with my emotions. But in terms of like my clinical depression, I actually think it was like a good place. Um, And then now that I'm not drinking, uh, it's a lot better. And I think similar to how you feel, like I have my routine and my habits down. I kind of have my medication down. And so I think my depression right now is at like a the best place it's been. Um, and then in terms of anxiety, I've had anxiety, but it's usually tied to my depression. So I kind of like, fo- like they usually go hand in hand in one way or another. I think you are more like anxiety forward and your depression follows. For me, it's like I'm depression forward and anxiety follows. And then I mm-hmm. also have ADHD, which plays into both of those things a lot. And so those are kind of like my three, <laughs> I would say. Um, that's like my big three, like my personality planets. The pyramid of my mental health. <laughs> yeah, which is like all of them. But it's been a long journey, and I think it's uh, also a really important like part of who I am. And it's not something I feel like I need to overcome. It's more something I need to like learn to live with. And I don't know. I think it's really interesting and important to talk. And I think that's part of the reason you and I have been such good friends is because we both talk about these things so openly and like are happy to have conversations and share information that we learn about it and like encourage each other to read books about self-help and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think is like, it's so great. So I'm excited to have this conversation today. Yeah. I feel like something I'm working on doing is not identifying as the mental health problem. Like I'm trying to move away, move away from saying like, oh, I am a very anxious person because I, th- I, I just, I feel like that's a perpetuating like narrative to identify with it that way. And mm-hmm. I don't want to like demonize anxiety. I think anxiety is a very normal part of life. I think I experience it more severe than the average person. So I'm trying to move towards saying like, oh, I just experience a lot of anxiety instead of mm-hmm identifying it because like that's it's not something that I want it's not like a value of mine it's like something that I work through and I don't think I'm going to be able to um get rid of it just like you said it's not something that I think I can cure but it is something that we can manage and I yeah I don't know just kind of trying to shift the narrative the internal narrative because that's a big part of it too like how you identify with it yeah yeah and I think it's it is like knowing it's just knowing that like you can live with it and it isn't controlling you. Like it's not Mm -hmm. who you are. And that's been a big thing with like depression is like knowing that like it can be a part of my life, but it isn't my life and like Mm -hmm. not letting it be all of my life. Um, and I think when when something becomes a part of your identity and your ego, it takes up so much more space when because you're letting it. Give it more power. When, yeah. Then when it's like low, like if if I'm doing a lot of things, like I'm working out, I'm walking my dog, I'm reading, I'm like doing all of these things, then like my mental health and depression only becomes a portion of the things that 
take up space mm-hmm. in my life because there's no room. <laughs> yeah. And so that's been something that's been really good. But yeah, what have you done? Like, what would you say are, let's say your biggest one, we could get into a lot, but like, what's your biggest one thing that you think you've done for your anxiety that's helped the most? Oh God. Well, for sure, therapy has probably been the biggest thing, but also like finding a, a good therapist. I've had some therapists that just feel like getting coffee with a friend and like that's not while that might be comfortable like that's not really how therapy should feel I think that therapy should you should be working with someone who like pushes you to dig deeper and like really dive into the meat of these things and so I was working with this therapist for a little over a year and then unfortunately he raised his prices so I can't afford him anymore (laughs) but I he helped me a lot like even in our one hour intro phone call, I like learned more about my trauma and myself than, um, than I had in my work with other therapists all combined. And so I think finding a a good therapist can be really powerful, especially just like understanding the why behind these things. Like a lot of my anxiety is just a control thing. Like through my childhood, I felt like I didn't have control. I felt like a lot of things just happened to me. And I was taught that the world is a scary place for me. Like a lot of my anxiety is I don't think that bad things are going to happen to other people. Like I think it's going to happen to me specifically just because of whatever happened in my childhood. And so that's something that I work through is like speaking to my inner child when I'm really anxious, like telling Mm -hmm. myself like, it's okay, Autumn, like you've done a good job taking care of yourself for these 23 years. Like you're going to continue to make good decisions. Like I, I really haven't led myself. I don't trust myself for some reason. And so that's a big part of it is learning to trust myself to make good decisions and be confident that I will continue to make good decisions that will keep me safe is a lot of it. And so just like kind of figuring out the why behind the anxiety so that you can, you can't rationalize, you can't rationalize your way out of anxiety. So like learning how to help yourself, like how to give yourself a hug and talking to my inner child in my head has helped me in that way. And another big thing, since I have a lot of uh, hypochondriacness, anxiety, um, something my one therapist taught me is that if there is something actually wrong with your body, it's not going to be a pain that typically tends to like oscillate. It's not going to like be really painful for five minutes and then turn off and then turn on again later. Like it's typically going to be something that starts and then continues to get worse. And Mm -hmm. so that's something that has really helped me because I'll get a lot of random pains here and there. And they happen before big events, like before my triathlon, I was getting a lot of chest pain. And like, if I'm starting with a new therapist before the session, I'll feel a random pain somewhere. And I tend to hyper-focus on it, but just knowing that thought that, if there is something actually wrong with your body, it will probably begin and continue to get worse instead of like a, oh, it hurt for five minutes and then it went away and then it came back. Like it doesn't, your body doesn't tend to work that way. And so finding a therapist who specializes in um, in illness anxiety was really helpful too. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like probably just talking through it, figuring out the root causes was the biggest thing. And then obviously on top, like being outside more and moving my body more and learning how to eat properly for my body is probably the biggest thing. They're all like interlinked and intertwined in a, mm-hmm. in a really complicated way. So yeah, that's my big three, I guess. <laughs> Those are good. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's so like therapy is so important and finding someone who can support you throughout your journey and having someone outside of your own head help you get through these things. I also think the way that you talk to yourself is so important. And you touched on that, like talking to your inner child or I used to go to therapy and be like, I feel like not in like a crazy way, but I, there is like two different conversations. Like there's a conversation happening in my head and it's Mm -hmm. between like, from what I can tell, like there's an insecure person and then there's like the me person. And recently it has shifted to like the insecure person is now a kind of higher self. I think like, it's like, I've done a lot of self-work worth and now I'm confident in myself. And the way that I talk to myself is so different that my mental health has shifted and it isn't even really an intentional change. I just kind of noticed that the other day I was like, wow, I've the way I talk to myself is so much more positive. I'm so proud mm-hmm. of myself. And you touched on something that is one of my number one, like honestly, the reason I reevaluated my relationship with drinking and that is not trusting myself. And I saw this thing that was like, any you, everyone knows any relationship you have is built on trust. If you can't trust yourself, how are you supposed to love yourself? Like you're Mm -hmm. not going to because you basically have an abusive relationship with yourself. And that's how I felt with my drinking was like, I, even if it was something small, like I'm going to go out and have a couple drinks and I will make sure I'm in bed by 1030. And instead I would not. And I'd come home and be in bed by midnight. It's not like I was like ruining my life. But it was like this constant, every single time I had a drink, I broke a rule to myself or I like broke a promise. And it just was getting to the point where nothing was life ruining. Nothing was like, oh, I like going to ruin my relationship, going to ruin my job. Like none of that was happening. I just started to hate myself because I was like, I can't keep a simple promise and it's driving me insane. And so like, I would say my number one, sorry, everyone, is quit drinking (laughs) because um, you cannot figure out the root cause of your mental health problems if you are numbing it with alcohol. Even if you don't think you're numbing it with alcohol, you probably are if you have like mental health problems. Take a break and go to therapy to figure Mm -hmm. out the root cause. But it really like I think that's a big reason I've started being nice to myself again is because I've literally broken like an abusive relationship cycle and now there's like a sense of security and trust in my own brain and like in these mm-hmm. I I would always refer to them as like the inside out feelings like the different feelings that happen in, in inside out like that's what's <laughs> happening in my head now they're happy together <laughs> yeah now they're like balanced and they like understand yeah. each other's roles and they trust each other and like like honestly, and I fucking love the movie. And such a good movie. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, that is my big one. But it's like the end, how she's like, "Oh, status is important." Like I think it's like recognizing that those feelings are important and giving them equal balance and value is like a mm-hmm. huge part of it. But yeah, the trust, self trust, self love thing is like the biggest tip I have for anyone. Yeah, I heard that on a podcast a few years ago, like Ed Milet was talking about how- I think it's his thing, yeah. It is. If you want to build confidence, you need to keep the promises you make to yourself. Like Mm -hmm. if you tell yourself every day, this is a problem that I have that I'm trying to work on. If you tell yourself every day, I'm going to wake up at five and go to the gym and you never do it, like 
you're not keeping the promises to yourself. Like you're continually breaking them. And of course, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have confidence in yourself if you can't even keep a promise that you make to yourself. So he said that and I was like, it sounds so simple, but a million percent. And also what you're saying about valuing like every emotion and, and not trying to like run away from certain emotions is really important. Like I, I don't think it's, we should not never feel depressed or never feel anxious. It's just like learning how to move through them and learning what they teach you. Like that's something I've just been trying to look at it as like anxiety and depression can be really big teachers on like what you want in life and what you don't want in your life and what's important to you. And like, what is it trying to show you right now? Like what area Mm -hmm. of your, of your life are you not nurturing? That's leading, you know, you to feel a certain way right now. And I think people think that you should just never feel these things, which is just not true. Like, and I feel like I was so evolved for my 17 year old self. Like that was what my whole college essay was written about was about how my life was like too easy. And I didn't have like anything sad or hard to, um, really appreciate the good in my life. And, um, I, I how I wanted to be challenged because I wanted to experience those things. Like you do need to have those periods of lowness or, isolation to really appreciate community that you're building or appreciate the job. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes um, absence makes the heart grow fonder when it comes to uh, those happy emotions. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. And I think um, another one that we often overlook is boredom. Like everyone hates being bored and we don't have, we don't have to be bored. Like we have a device at our fingertips that can give us entertainment at any second. Mm -hmm. And I really tried to be content with boredom because I think anxiety and depression can stem from not being content with boredom and constantly needing other things to make yourself happy. And that's been a big thing I found with my sobriety is like, or like sober curiosity, whatever you want to call it is a lot of people are so concerned about being bored. And it's like, it's okay to be bored. Like Mm -hmm. it's fine. And things like now I find I have so much appreciation for something like a long walk without my phone or like, like things that used to be like, Oh, that sounds just stupid to me. I'm like, Oh no, I see like the beauty in it. And Mm -hmm. some people might think that's boring and that's not like a life. I don't know. Like they might not desire that life. And honestly, I used to be that person, but now I feel like when you appreciate the smaller things, like that's when your life gets better. And when Mm -hmm. you're happy and when you're content, like that is when your life starts feeling better. I mean, circling back to like dopamine, it's like a big constantly wanting what you don't have. You're never going to feel happy. And like, if you can't appreciate this moment for what it is, like you're not going to feel happy. And I think boredom is just so important and people are like not okay being bored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that scares me is whenever I do go on a walk, everyone else that I see outside walking has headphones in or they're looking at their phone. I think it's very rare to see someone who just like doesn't have headphones and is not holding their phone. And it's just making time to be less stimulated. I think for me, I have found that I feel much more stimulated by my stimulation threshold is a lot lower when Mm -hmm. I make 
time to, you know, when I wake up in the morning, maybe get ready in silence and not have a podcast and not have music going or driving to work, maybe do that in silence. Like taking a certain amount of time, an extended period of time to not be stimulated, to just think and be with myself really lowers the stimulation threshold. And so then when I do go on a walk with no phone or headphones, I just feel like I'm so overjoyed by how beautiful it is outside. And like, I noticed the little things that I wouldn't notice before. And I just like, they genuinely make me smile. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so while it can be boring and feel more simple to just not, I don't know, to just dedicate time to be not stimulated. Some people don't want to do like you said, but I feel like doing that has made me so much happier and has really improved my mental health as a whole too. So no, it really has. It's like if you're you're never going to be happy with like needing constant stimulation because our brains make stimulation boring if we're constantly exposed to it. And so that means you're going to constantly need more and more and something else. And like you're therefore never going to be happy. So I think it's so important to allow yourself time to like do nothing. And it'll make everything more fun. Like if you're not not drinking, then it'll make when going out and having one drink fun and it'll make things that like you're desiring and you want to be fun, more fun, no matter what. Uh, But I also will say like, and I stand by this and I'm very, think it's a huge important part of mental health conversations is that like, well, it is holistic and well, it is, you can help your anxiety and your depression in a lot of ways their medication is also very important. And like, I have found like, I'm still on antidepressants. And I think it's really important to recognize that like, yes, I'm doing all of the healthy things in my life. And I still need the help of medication. And like, that's totally fine. And I'm Mm -hmm. very happy with like where I've landed. I actually um, just found a holistic psychiatrist in my area, which I'm super excited to work with, because I think one of the things that's difficult is a lot of times the people that you're working with in therapy are not necessarily the same people that are prescribing your medicine. And so you have Mm -hmm. to kind of like reiterate between the two and like, they're not getting full pictures and they're maybe symptomatically treating whether rather than like trying to find the root cause. Um, And so I think that's really common with anxiety specifically, but I think it's really incredible to have a holistic psychiatrist because I can look at, you know, things like my hormone levels and how that's impacting my mental health. I can look at how things like I touched on birth control, my birth control being on the pill for 10 years was causing me severe depression and just getting off the pill and switching to an IUD made huge changes for my mental health. So it's like working with someone who will look at the full picture is so important for your mental health, but also recognizing that if you still have to go on antidepressants, that's not like a fail. And it doesn't mean that you're like not doing well. It just means you need the extra support. Like your brain has a chemical imbalance and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think the holistic psychiatrist thing is a great, a great option because I think if you are going to seek medication, it's really important to go to someone who is not like prescription happy, like some psychiatrists just like whatever. Oh, you're sad. Here you go. Like they don't take the time to really look at the whole picture. And so I think it is important that if you do seek that route to just go to someone who's really going to listen to you and hear you know, your whole picture so that they can have a good understanding and be making the right decisions when it comes to, to you and what mm-hmm. you need for your mental health. Like for my mental health, because I have a lot of health anxiety being 
medicated is a, feels to me like a very last resort. I, I don't want to do that because the side effects of the medication terrify me. And I would constantly think about is, am I going to have one of these bad reactions? Like I, I don't know how impactful it would be for mental health because I would be overthinking about the medication side effects. So for me, when COVID happened, I was very close to getting medicated. I was so anxious that I felt like I was in a corner and that I had to, like there was no other option for me. And I had an appointment with a psychiatrist and I told him that. And the psychiatrist listened to my whole story, all my symptoms. We did like a whole hour long evaluation and which isn't even enough time realistically, but whatever. And um, he basically told me that for me, he doesn't, he can prescribe me an SSRI, but that he doesn't think that's the route I should take. And that he thinks that I should be taking this high quality fish oil with a, a thousand milligrams of EPA because that does wonders for brain inflammation and mm-hmm. magnesium. He gave me a list of like 10 supplements he wants me to take. And then on top of that, he was like, you also need to be working out. He's like, when you are running or moving, your body, it's very hard to feel anxious if you're going for a run. (laughs) Like You can't really do both. And so he was like, you need to be working out every day or moving your body every day and taking these supplements. And a Mediterranean diet apparently is the best for Mm -hmm. um, anxiety and depression, according to him. And so I implemented all of those and um, also getting off birth control. That really helped my anxiety a lot. So I think it was a combination of all of those things, but, and that's kind of what I lean on. And whenever I notice myself like slipping on my supplements, then I start to like get an uptick in anxiety. So I feel like it's important to note that yes, medication, if you need it, but also make sure you have the right psychiatrist who really yeah. listens to you and understands what is important to you because um, sometimes they, they don't listen to your whole story and mm-hmm. they just you have a 10 minute session they give you what you ask for. Like I think people are way over prescribed ADHD medication. I think if some people just had more time for stillness, they would realize, Oh, they don't actually have ADHD. They just have like a dopamine imbalance from Mm -hmm. social media and phone and overstimulation. But, um, but yeah, finding the right doctors is key here in all of this. And like, um, I also think there's like a, a level of patience that has to come. Cause like what you just touched on a good thing with like ADHD and, and ADHD and depression. I don't know this for a fact, I'm pretty sure are pretty closely linked in my experience. They're very closely linked because a lot of my symptoms of ADHD manifest in symptom as symptoms of depression, like unable to keep habits, unable to maintain routines, um, a loss of interest in activities, of passion. Like that's so common because I have ADHD. I'm constantly switching up what I'm interested in. And so it seems like I'm losing interest in things that I like all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been a whole other thing. And like you mentioned SSRIs and that's such a common antidepressant. And that's what I was like working with for a really long time. And it wasn't working for me. And I ended up going on Wellbutrin, which is actually a dopamine regulator and that has been huge for me because it impacts both my ADHD and my depression, which are so intertwined. I can't really distinguish between the two. And so mm-hmm. I think it's like that literally I went on Wellbutrin, um, I think my sophomore year. So six years after I started my journey of figuring out my mental health issues. And I just think it's important to note that like 
patience is a virtue when it comes to these things. Um, and like you are never at, it can always get better. I think that's like, so you always feel like, Oh, I've been doing this for four years and nothing fixes it. I'm stuck with this forever. But like, that's not true. Um, and so yeah, finding someone who's like willing to work with you and like a big one, we have so many women listeners and we both experience this. Like people don't fucking tell you the way that birth control fucks with your head. And like, let's also recognize that there's a lot of concerning rights up in the air right now. So like stay on your birth control if you need to, but it's like, look into other types. Like Autumn's completely off birth control, but I have an IUD now and that's been huge for my mental health um, compared to the pill. And so Mm -hmm. I think like, that's another thing is working with doctors who can understand the different side effects of different pills. And even if that's, I don't know if there's like different pill levels that would change mental health effects, but like Mm -hmm. looking at all of your options in all of these things is so key. Cause that was a frustration of mine that like I was diagnosed with depression six months after I went on the pill and like nobody put those two things together (laughs) for like, literally I figured it out on my own. Cause I like what stopped taking the pill. Cause I'm bad at getting prescriptions because I have ADHD and my depression got better. And I was like, (laughs) what the heck? (laughs) Like This is crazy. So that's a huge one. Like I think understanding your hormones is a big part of the mental health conversation. Well, yeah. And that's why I think it's so crazy that they put you on birth control so young for your hormones because birth control just basically like doesn't help your hormone production. It just like stops your brain from like communicating properly to the systems that it normally does. And so like it just mimics healthy hormone patterns. It doesn't actually Mm -hmm. like actually help improve. So if you are someone who has like PCOS or something, and that's why you think you need to be on birth control, I would highly recommend um, maybe going to like a functional wellness doctor or something like that, someone or a hormone specific health doctor who can help you because a lot of doctors now are saying that that's not the answer. But I think it takes a lot of time for once the research is out there for it to fully trickle down to all doctors. And so I think it's kind of like a newer conversation, but I think if you have PCOS health or hormone problems, like and mental health problems, like maybe think about other options than birth control. There are other ways to, to regulate your hormones than birth control. And and it's not the most efficient option, just like how alcohol is not the best yeah. coping mechanism. <laughs> it is a coping mechanism, but is it the best one? Probably not. Well, and it's, and it's like, like you said, it's like symptomatic. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting more estrogen, but it's not because my body's producing more estrogen. It's because I'm literally taking estrogen and like... Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with PCOS when I went on birth control. So like a while ago, and I've seen a lot more conversation happen around PCOS. But when I was diagnosed, they were like, there was such little research that they were like, there's no way you have PCOS. You don't look like a typical PCOS patient. Like they were like, it's weird that you're blonde. It's weird that you're not obese. Like usually they had dark hair and well, like, Basically, they had like extremist versions because that's the only time they notice irregulation in women's Mm -hmm. hormones is when they like basically like couldn't lose weight to an extreme extent. Now we're seeing it as like how we see it, like girls get a chin hair and you may like have a little bit of a harder time losing weight or you may have light, like slightly irregular periods and that PCOS is like a huge spectrum. Mm -hmm. But when I got diagnosed, it was very much like 
not talked about and not doctors didn't think to diagnose it. So therefore they didn't have the right treatment. They were just like, go on birth control and maybe it'll fix it. Cause your estrogen levels in a blood test will look normal. But like Mm -hmm. my body wasn't learning anything. My body wasn't figuring out how to regulate and I wasn't doing the right things. And I think, I mean, a lot of that is tied into mental health. Like it's like, if you're just leaning on a crutch, you're going to like develop a limp. (laughs) Like it's like, you can't just like do that forever. So yeah, holistic. I've had a lot of luck with like looking up integrative doctors. Like that's a good phrasing if you're like literally searching it. Because usually that means they have like medical, a medical background and can prescribe, um, but they also will look at the bigger picture and give you, you know, supplements and different things that have research behind them. So that's a little bit less intimidating if you're like going from a straight Western doctor into more integrative, it's kind of the middle Mm -hmm. ground. But yeah, definitely recommend integrative wellness for any of this, any of these topics. Yeah, I think even if you can't, see like that kind of doctor finding a doctor who really listens to you and like asks you questions I didn't realize how little like you actually talk to your doctor and how little your doctor actually knows about your health like when we did the health coaching with Olivia I was like this is the most that anyone has ever asked me about my health and there are like regular general practice doctors that do get into more of the nitty gritty. And so if you can find that, if for some reason you can't find an integrative doctor who will take your insurance and that's your only option, like maybe just finding a, a regular Western medicine doctor who will ask you more questions and will fight for you to take those extra tests. Like they're out there too. It's just can be harder to find. But yeah, basically mm-hmm. the theme of this, find the right doctors, find people who listen to you and make you feel heard, whether that's a friend or a therapist or a doctor, um, that can be one of the most like helpful things. And I feel like community, like some, that's something we're trying to do with this whole podcast, like build a community of people who are like-minded, who understand you um, and listen to you. Those things are all really helpful. Yeah, I think agreed. And we can wrap up with like, do you have a book or resource that's like your, or maybe a few that have helped you a lot in your mental health journey? Um, some books that I have read when I was at my lowest point, I like a lot of, um, Sam Harris's books. He has like 10% happier. And, Mm -hmm. um, I'm also currently reading the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. And I think that's really, um, a really powerful book. I think something also that is like free and easy for you to do is like lean into meditation or spirituality if that's something that feels helpful to you. I just, I feel like meditation, that's what Sam Harris is all about, kind of like finding mindfulness and meditation, but it is such a simple, easy hack and it can really change your whole outlook on the world. So yeah, probably anything by Sam Harris is great. <laughs> Those are good. Um, I really liked Untethered Soul. I know I feel oh, like you did. yes. <laughs> oh, you liked it? That's a good one. Um, and then Huberman Lab podcast is amazing. I love the way he delivers information. And like, I mean, I guess he kind of goes into, he goes into mental health, like in almost all episodes. It's like really physiological. Like it's very much like data driven things that mm-hmm. you can do to improve your mental health, which I like as someone who over intellectualizes my mental health. Um, and then dopamine, the power or the molecule of more 
It's all about dopamine. Literally the best book I've probably ever read. It's like so mm-hmm. life-changing and just insightful. I would say those are like my my big ones right now at least. Oh, and The Power of Intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm. I read that when I was 12 and I was convinced I was going to die any second, any day, and that helped me. <laughs> so uh, that's a really a really powerful book. But yeah, Huberman Lab Podcast, love that. And The Dopamine Molecule More, yes, a million percent. I recommend everything you said too. I think those are all great <laughs> resources. Um, oh, also, We Can Do Hard Things podcast. Oh, yes. That makes me feel so they validate my feelings every week. I'm like I would listen to them on my way to therapy and like like be like take mental notes of like, oh, that's a great point. I want to talk to my therapist about that more. Like they are so good and so validating. Yeah, I agree. I love them. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our solo. We hope you liked this. And if you guys like enjoy this, let us know in our comments or I don't know. We would love to do more of these, but we're just, I don't know, trying things out for now. What do you guys want? (laughs) Exactly. Just just tell us what you need. (laughs) Well, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at StillNoPlanPod. See you next next Wednesday. Wednesday. Woohoo!